November of 1963, the longest-running science fiction series first aired and took the world by storm. Since that date, this television program has continued in multiple comic books. The goal of this podcast is to review these comic... Welcome to Doctor Who Comic Book Review. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken and special guest star Jamie. Episode number 147 recorded November 30th, 2013. This is our final Doctor Who Star Trek Next Generation crossover episode where we do issues 7 and 8 of the miniseries. Yes, with that special intro, musical intro. You liked it? That's from uh, the Big Finish audiobook called Horror of Glam Rock. It's an Eighth Doctor adventure. <laughs> Which sounds a little bit more like uh, the Beach Boys in parts. But it, it is very interesting. It's very interesting. And, of course, we're making no money off of this, anybody. So we're just, just laying it out there. Yep. 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 So, Jamie, welcome to the yes. show. Thank you. So for everybody following along, Jamie uh, was in one of our first anniversary episodes where we uh, – did you know viewers choice kind of thing and she wanted to do the manga right yes manga <laughs> which i liked i think jamie liked it ken i don't yeah. think you really liked it it was a uh, a wonderful new expression of uh, of star trek so hey what that what the heck you know that that company tokyo press uh mm-hmm. they also did a uh, doctor who one i think and a star wars one so really and Ghostbusters, so they kind of <laughs> did it all. Wow. Interesting, yeah. Okay, future episode ideas. Mm-hmm. There you go. So anyways, so uh, welcome again, Jamie, and um, obviously you're a Star Trek fan, but you're, yes. you're also a Doctor Who fan? Yes, just recently found those. Did not get to grow up with them, but uh, have, have since found them on Netflix and whatnot. Oh, cool. I've been enjoying them. So yeah, I have not seen... I am not up to date yet, so so I, I've seen past the ponds. So these episodes, these uh, comics were a lot of fun because uh, where I left off, they had kind of just left the series themselves. So it was fun to go back and and, and revisit them. Cool. cool. So so you're mostly a Matt Smith viewer, or did you go back to David Tennant too, or is that? Uh, I started with, uh, with nine. Right. Yes. Oh, good. Okay, good. So you've got the reboot, new, new yes. doctors down pat. Very yeah. good. And I, I have seen, I have gone back and seen uh, the eighth doctor. Yeah, the Which... best one. Good job. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not like it takes long. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. So, and Netflix has a few of the uh, the older doctors. Uh, they kind of. I wouldn't say cherry picked because I don't think they necessarily pick the best episodes, but they do have quite a few. Um, okay. I thought those were just the surviving ones or something. No, no, there's still a lot, a lot of other ones that are out on DVD. Just oh, uh, okay. only a few of them are are on there. Mm-hmm. And, and Netflix actually lists them as season one through seventeen, but they're not really seasons because um, one of the Tom Baker seasons uh, was called the Key of Time, and it was basically four four story arcs that made up one one whole season. 
and it's listed on Netflix as four different seasons, so it's it's a little misleading when you look at it and you're like, oh, this is season 12. Well, actually, no, that's just one story arc that was in season, like, eight or whatever, you know, so. I have had to look it up to make sure I watched everything in order, because, like, the, the Waters of Mars wasn't streaming, but I had to figure out where it fits in and get it from the DVDs. Ah, right. Yeah, I've been going back on IMDb looking at some of the yes. earlier ones because I did I did purchase uh, a, a DVD set that includes uh, the early doctors William Hartnell and oh, nice. uh, Patrick Troughton so I'm not as familiar with the really early ones so I am now watching an earth on an earthly child and the Daleks and the <laughs> Engine destruction and some of these really really first uh, episodes which is very interesting yeah now did did either one of you watch the uh docudrama about the making of Doctor Who um, called no. um, An Adventure in Time and Space that came on last week? No, I do want to see that when it, you know, it's available on Netflix. Okay, yeah, it, it's definitely worth worth watching. Ken, did you happen to catch it? I have not, but I definitely, that's one of the things I do want to see. Yeah. And I probably won't wait for Netflix. But. <laughs> I, I was just surprised on how much how groundbreaking Doctor Who really was because I didn't know that it was, you know, it, you know, it was made in the 60s. The producer was a woman. First time there was a woman producer on a major uh, television show there in the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first uh, series uh, director was an Indian. So that was also, you know, a little taboo at the time. I mean, it was oh, just like they were really pushing Diverse. it. And, uh, you know, and, and it was interesting watching it just how close it came to never being made you know so many times that, that somebody was wanting to pull the plug on it for one reason or another and it just you know hit the right chord at the right time cool so uh, it's, it's worth watching another comment on some of these early ones is maybe this was promoted as some kind of a kid show but i thought the writing was pretty good pretty adult i i I'd read I, I, I like it Quite it was bit. supposed to be like a educational show or something like that. And, and watching one of the, I was watching Doctor One, when they and they're in the with the Aztecs, and it did seem more educational, less drama driven. Right. Like, oh, these are these, and this is what they would do, and blah blah blah. <laughs> yeah, well, you're like, right. Run. Yeah. yeah. So as part of the first four part story, there's one where they go back to caveman days, mm-hmm. and oh. it's like they do pretty good job of depicting what it might have been like back then and it isn't pleasant but uh, I thought they they went out of their way to you know be pretty accurate in what they were trying to to, to depict so I mean as much as their budget would allow right Right. yeah so yeah definitely it was was supposed to be a kids show and it was supposed to be somewhat educational there in the beginning yeah Uh, and from a history standpoint I think they might have uh, achieved some of that right I forgot where I read it, but here recently, because, you know, there's been tons of Doctor Who documentaries on BBC America and things like that, but uh, one of them, uh, you know, had the writer or whatever, and he was, you know, he was telling the producers, you know, we're going to write it so that the kids will understand. And he was like, and if the kids understand, then uh, they can explain it to the parents. So... (laughs) (laughs) Because cause I think the producers were like, oh, I don't get it. It's a blue box that's traveling around in space. Oh, no. if, if we explain it, and if we explain it so the kids can understand it, uh, they'll be able to explain it to the adults. <laughs> so I thought that was funny. Uh, that is pretty good. 
So Terry Nation, they must have had somebody playing Terry Nation in there then, who is one of the he's the guy that apparently came up with Daleks. Right. Um, I, I'm going to have to watch that. I think yeah, I'm going to put that higher on my list of things to obtain. Hmm. And the okay. uh, the guy they got to play William Hartnell is the um, the caretaker from Harry Potter. Right. And he does a, a really good. I mean, he looks a lot like uh, William Hartnell, and he's he's got the mannerisms down. So yeah. it was it was really good watching it. I, I've seen photos of him in costume, and he does look like uh, Hartnell. Hmm. Yeah, definitely worth a watch. You could probably still catch it on BBC America if. Uh, Right. It's it's called An Adventure in Time and Space. They they've been rerunning it a lot. So, anyways, as you may have noticed, this is the first episode that we've recorded after the uh, 50th anniversary. Um, it'll be the second one that we post after the 50th anniversary. So, kind of give you a timestamp of where we're at when we're recording this. Yeah, and of course we thoroughly uh, those of us that have seen it have thoroughly enjoyed it. But uh, Jamie is. Is catching up on the seventh season? Yes. So we won't be talking details about that 50th anniversary, but it was quite Thank good. Thank you. <laughs> Did you at least watch the mini episode with um, with a special guest doctor? No, but I have people on Facebook have been talking about it. Oh, so you know. I think so. The big reveal? Yeah. It's very Great, cool. Greatest seven minutes of Doctor Who ever. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so Donovan Donovan texted me and said, "Did you see it? Did you see it? The greatest seven <laughs> minutes ever!" And it's like uh, I haven't gotten to it, but you got to watch it. It's like so I finally watched it, and it was like cool, very cool. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's great stuff. All right, well, you want to start talking about the comics? Yes, and get back to Star Trek too. Yes. Oh, that's right. We will next week. We'll have to start talking about just Star Trek. It's gonna be it's gonna be a weird shift. It's gonna be a little different, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure we'll thoroughly enjoy it. So oh, yeah. Well, uh, in that case, I'll, I'll begin. So I get to do the the summarization for part seven of Assimilation Squared. So published date is November 2012. The writer is uh, Scott and David Tipton. Artist is Gordon Purcell. Painted art J.K. Woodward. Lettering, Tom B. Long. Editor, Denton J. Tipton. The cover presents the famous battle at Wolf 359, with many Starfleet ships attacking the Borg cube containing Locutus. Unexpectedly included in the thick of things is the TARDIS, in the center of the cover. The uh, second cover, the R.I. cover, features uh, Amy and the Doctor and Picard and Riker standing in front of the TARDIS. So, nice simple cover. Uh, nicely drawn, and that's the only alternate cover. Though Locutus has his head-mounted laser sights trained on the Doctor's forehead, he eventually shifts his attention back to the battle and the Collective's complex network of instant communications. The Doctor explains that Worf told him if they do not keep the Borg from their duties, they can slip under the Borg radar. They consider alien individuals such as the Doctor and his companions to be too irrelevant to be worth their attention. They discuss Captain Picard's enslavement, the suppression of all Borg drones' individuality, emotions, and desire to escape their enslavement. The hive mind is their singular concern. Using a tricorder that Data programmed for them, they make their way 
to a control panel that should give them access to the Borg Cube's data libraries, including the all-important executive library. It takes some time and sonic screwdriver fiddling with the tricorder, but the doctor locates the executive library and begins copying its contents into the massive storage repository of the tricorder. With the copy complete, they move back through the cube to the TARDIS. As they pass Locutus and the window into the battle, they pause to remember the 11,000 people that will perish this day. They are dour over not being able to do anything about saving even one of them for fear of the unknown repercussions of messing with such an important fixed point in time. The TARDIS returns to the Enterprise holodeck with the all-important executive library, all seemingly at the second that they left. Picard, Riker, and the rest move to engineering where the conduit is working with Geordi to improve the warp drive's output. They must catch up to the cyber controller's ship if this plan is going to work. Geordi reports, despite their best efforts, they cannot get enough output out of the modified engines to catch up. They have too great a lead. Despite seeing what the doctor's little box can do several times, Picard is ready to admit defeat. The doctor, of course, steps up and says the TARDIS can easily catch up and take a small team onto the cyber controller's ship undetected. Picard agrees and calls Worf to prepare weapons and tactical gear for the mission. Picard points out how dangerous this mission will be. The doctor makes a half-hearted attempt to tell Amy and Rory they are staying behind on the Enterprise. He caves immediately with a goofy smile on his face when they tell him that they're going. Riker asks Dr. Crusher, who is sporting hot pink hair streaks these days, whether Captain Bertrand can be released from the Borg bondage, as Picard was. She says it's less likely. She says she is willing to try, but in the end, Bertrand must want to be released for this to work. In a weapons room, Worf briefs his security team and the rest on the retro Type 3 phaser rifles. Worf has programmed for maximum effect on the Cybermen. He tries to take more time with the doctor and his companions, but the doctor stops him and says, guns make you stupid. The doctor says he will get along just fine without them. Worf says, entering this mission unarmed is suicide. Picard orders Riker to stay behind on the ship and continue the pursuit. If they lose contact for too long, he is ordered to return to Federation space and marshal more forces. They enter the TARDIS and make the required and redundant statements about it being bigger on the inside. Data is intrigued. Worf is on guard. Data asks the doctor if he is using some form of dimensional shifting to create an exponentially larger interior. The doctor is happy for once that someone enters his TARDIS and gets it. They arrive on the cyber controller ship within the cyber armada. Oddly enough, the ship has several Borg rest recharge chambers in the wall. Not long after they are aboard, an alarm sounds and they are split into two teams by a Cyberman weapon that collapses uh, a hallway that ends up cutting them off. Picard and the Doctor take their team, that includes Data and the Conduit, to the bridge. Worf and his larger team, that includes the Pons, heads to engineering to slow down at least this ship in any way they can. 
On their way to the bridge, Mr. Data gets to use his Steve Austin strength to keep a closing door open long enough for his companions to get through. Elsewhere on the way to engineering, Rory almost gets himself killed. Worf is able to pull him out of harm's way by the scruff of his neck. Worf convinces them in a very cool way to arm themselves with Type 2 phasers. Worf continues the totally cool warrior show by blasting six or more Cybermen Borg hybrids to bits. Both teams have their objectives in sight, but standing in their way are legions of Cybermen. Good thing they stopped off at Naya 7. To be continued. I don't get... What is Naya 7? That's where they got all the gold Uh, from uh, the fish uh, people. Thanks for the reminder. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so... A little ninja tactic getting on the uh, cyber controller ship in the heart of the enemy. Right. It was fun. It was interesting seeing the the Cybermen-Borg crossovers because they are very similar you know, within the two different shows, you know, the the wanting to convert or assimilate everybody, it's, it's very parallel. I liked that they followed that storyline. That was that was fun. Right. Let's see. Because Worf calls them Mr. and Mrs. Williams. Yes. Did they ever mention their last names? And um, if they did, it was usually like the doctor calls them both pawns. Yes. So I was, I was curious, <laughs> yeah, where Worf got Williams from. Well, his name is Rory Williams, so I think yeah. in reality their names are Williams, but it's just yeah. the doctor who calls them puns. Right. They kind of call themselves puns, too, I thought. Do they? A little bit. Yeah, but Worf being more old-fashioned Not and true. proper. <laughs> <laughs> He'll go with the guy's last name. <laughs> yeah, and as we see, it's going to be it's going to be interesting how Rory and Worf uh, kind of becoming, uh, you know, cop buddies kind of relationship yeah. as, as the next uh, issue unfolds. Yeah, I did like how Worf was kind of looking after them and right. and pushing them to be all that they can be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like a Marine drill sergeant. He's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's a good motivator. Yeah. And I like how he does it. I mean, he's pretty cool about it, you know. But he basically says, you better arm yourself or you're going to, you know, you're going to be in trouble. And two more gun, gun hands... Uh, can't hurt the uh, mission. So how many security guys are with them? Because I see like three. Is it three? Because it never shows like all of them. So I, I'm never sure if I'm just seeing, just happen to be seeing three at a time, or there's really only three. Oh, yeah. I, I'm Part thinking there's two. only three because because some of them might not make it here in the, pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> you think? They're basically no. the red shirts, I think. That's my prediction. Yeah. Well, next gen does things slightly different. They're they're the gold shirts. I just got to say that the drawing at the at the last panel, uh, where they're showing Picard saying "Murdi," and then the the ocean, the sea of Cybermen that are between them and their objective, is quite large. Indeed. Indeed, like a challenge. The Borg electrical stuff in the center of their chest. Yeah, I like that, too. Oh, yeah, right. That's, that's pretty. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I always like those, those, those big, yeah, round things with the electricity going through. Those are cool. Yeah. But those don't show up until first contact, and this is supposed to be pre-first contact. Just say. Just say. Oh, interesting point, Donovan. Hmm. 
<laughs> I told you they they kind of cherry pick what they what they want to, the Borg to look like and kind of mix in the yeah. new and the old. And that's fine. Why? What the heck? <laughs> Come on, little uh, Tony Stark kind of thing in the chest. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Throw it in there. Well, if you remember last issue when Picard was being taken on his little tour through the galaxy of the future where it shows the Borg taking over right. everything. Right. Um, like when they when it showed the Borg Klingons, they had the Klingon emblem there in their chest. And then right. when they took over, you know, yeah. somebody else, they had a different symbol on their chest. So different heads and stuff. Whereas yeah, when it's the Cybermen or the Borg in, in, in either of the series, they they're all just uniform. Right. Yeah, you know, the the Borg eyepiece might be a little different, but they're pretty uniform. And the Cybermen have always been uniform. I've never really seen them take over any of the other alien species. Where you know, the Rhino people does it have the Rhino head? Or this version, it does. Yeah, it yeah. did. Yeah, I don't remember that from the show either. But but they were usually taken over humans. Right. Exactly. Well, the shows the show unfortunately is very human centric. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. They very rarely go anywhere where there's not humans. <laughs> Darn it! That's my that's my main complaint about the the new Doctor Who is that you know ninety percent of the episodes is in modern, and maybe not ninety percent, but a huge percentage of the shows is modern, uh, you know, modern time, normal UK. Yes, setting. contemporary, exactly. Right. And that was something that I found rather odd about the first episodes with uh, Eccleston or however you pronounce his last name. They just right. spent. They just spent way... Maybe it was budgetary? I don't know, but... I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah. But even when they go to the future, it's always, you know, this looks just like normal Earth. You know, they don't they don't seem to take the chances that the old the old show did, where they, you know, when they went to a different planet, even though the makeup was horrible and the sets were, you know, just as... <laughs> At least they tried. Or, <laughs> yeah, it, lo- it looked alien, whereas the new one, you know, they, they when they do an alien, it looks great. But they, it's never a planet of aliens. It's just one or two. Right. Anyways. But yes, so, I, I don't agree that uh, – I don't think the little chest plate – the Borg makes sense why their chest plate would be Borgified because they're supposed to be a hybrid of Borg and Cybermen. But mm-hmm. why they had the Klingon symbol last issue, that's Because it was cool. Because it was cool. <laughs> it's the only way we knew that there was Klingons in, in there. <sighs> right. Because <laughs> they didn't have bumpy Cybermen heads. Yeah, because they keep talking about, yeah, your individuality is stripped away, but they still have the Klingon symbol. Mm. <laughs> exactly. And the other guys still have rhino uh-huh. well, things but, coming out of their forehead. And, but And that just, uh, is the skull still in there? Cause, you know, so Did they keep the just, skull? I thought they just kept the brains. Well, I thought that too, and then I watched an episode of, they, you know, they've been marathoning them on BBC America, mm-hmm. and a Cyberman head broke open and a skull fell out so then I was like oh well maybe there are still skulls in there Yeah. and if so if you have a rhino shaped skull you're going to need a rhino shaped helmet (laughs) (laughs) good point so I think it just depends on artistic license whether they want a skull in there or just a floating brain exactly it's really what the story dictates or what's cool Yeah. So. so something I thought was good with consistency continuity is they use those Dorco phaser rifles, that old, <laughs> older style, which I never liked. But at least they didn't. At least they were consistent or had good continuity there and didn't try to use the phaser rifles from First Contact. 
which are significantly cooler. Right. Yeah, these just look like normal hand phasers stuck on the end of a rifle butt. Yeah, it's like a little bit right, exactly. So they just 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 elongated <laughs> phaser type two into like a rifle configuration, right? Never did like those. Yeah, I think deep, plastic, little cheap looking. Yeah, deep. I, was it deep space? I don't know. I think deep space nine was one of the first times when I I really noticed them. But mm-hmm. you know, maybe maybe they first used it in next gen. I don't know. But I definitely noticed it in deep space nine, and I didn't like them one bit. <laughs> and so you didn't like Data showing off his strength there on the door. I I thought I thought it was fine. I thought it was great. But oh. I I think I think Data doesn't show off enough in next gen. Right. So yeah. I mean, and it kind of cheapens the character if you know every week he gets to do a Steve Austin thing. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think he shows off enough. Steve Austin is the million dollar man. Six million dollar man. Six million dollar man. That's right. With inflation, that's probably the $13 million dollar man. Probably at least. Yeah, so. There was also... There was a great show. I do mention it every once in a while, and this is going to be a little bit of a tangent, but there was a great show, Blake 7, where they had the same thing happen, but this big guy, Gan, was keeping the door open. Um, unfortunately, he wasn't able to get out of the way of the door. Ooh. It squashed him? Squashed him good. <laughs> so, I'm glad Data uh, was able to get out of the way of the door. So. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, by seven the way, Blake 7. BBC thing, right? Not only that, uh, Terry Nation uh, created it and was one of the main writers on it. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And that's why when you watch it, you go, this kind of looks like Doctor Who. <laughs> it's like, yeah, because probably a lot of the same production people had some involvement. Sure. Anyway. Cool. Uh, well worthwhile. And I don't know whether that's on Netflix, but if you ever do see it out there, it's worth a look. All right. I'll keep yeah. an eye out for it. Uh, I found it kind of weird that uh, Picard was cursing in the show he never did. Because as far as I know, that's a very naughty French word. Oh, really? And I guess... Cool. I think so. Yes. And I'm guessing Worf is too, since it's in Klingon. I'm guessing. But he kind of, yeah, would say curses of some sort in Klingon. They never translated them, and I never looked them up to see what they actually meant. But yeah, Picard, no matter what was going down, he never lost his cool. So that I guess that also shows you how much trouble he thinks they are in. <laughs> at this point. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I knew what that word was, but it didn't, I didn't really th- think about uh, it. Shouldn't really be something Picard would say. I I just looked it up. I did. I didn't bother before, but I did now. I'm not going to say what it stands for, but um, no. it's a derogatory term. Derogatory term for excrement. Well, derogatory. I don't know, but yeah, yeah. It's it's a naughty word. Yeah. <laughs> The only reason why I know that is because watching Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which also kind of ties into Doctor Who, um, yes. Napoleon had, had said that, and then on the TV version, they would cut that out. So I had to ask my mom, what's the name? Really? You're kidding me. Yeah. How many people yeah. in the viewing audience would know French? Anyway. Well, mm-hmm. all the Canadians. Oh, well. All, well, all the French Canadians. 
With right. that movie, they would t- pick out weird things to, 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 to cut out of the of the TV version. Some things we thought were just for time, and then we grew up and went, oh, that is kind of naughty. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny watching those edited TV movies, or the edited movies for TV uh, from the 80s and 90s, because <laughs> now you watch it, and you're watching the edited version, and you're just like, well, why would they even bother to edit that out? That's not even... You know that's not even bad because you know they show worse than that on Two and a Half Men now. <laughs> well, it, yeah, you see an old an old movie that you used to watch as a kid uh, edited, and then you see it now edited, and most of it's still there. They just cut out like one or two words versus like everything they would cut out in the older versions. It's it's interesting how things have changed over time. Yeah, yeah. every t- every time RoboCop comes on cable, <laughs> uh, you know, not premium channel cable, but like the uh, you know Sci-Fi Channel or or whatever, I'll watch it because to me, the, the way they edited that one for TV is just so funny because <laughs> the language, I mean, even words that aren't even bad words, they've like changed to be like stupid head and you're like, that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> it's, it's, it's worth a watch if you ever catch it on there. And sometimes they do the cutaway so that they don't show the blood, but it makes it worse because you see people's expressions while something's happening, and, and you just imagine it being so much worse than what it what it really was. <laughs> yeah, in your head, you've made it to be this big, huge, disgusting thing, and then you actually see it, and you go, oh, really? That was yeah. it? That was just oh. a little flesh wound. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. But if you don't want to get letters written into you if you're a TV network or something. True. You're going to be on the safe side, I guess. But but my point is, they don't do that anymore. They they yeah. they wouldn't edit it like like that anymore. Not as yeah. severely, no. Right. And then you watch things like Game of Thrones or some of these other modern uh, cable productions, and it's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> they'll do anything. They'll show anything. Anyway. Yep. All right. Lastly, on this issue, uh, mm-hmm. Jamie, what do you think about the artwork overall? Uh, do you overall, like the it's, well, I like that it's a painting. It's something different. It's not exactly my favorite because if I did not know who these people were, I wouldn't know who they were, if that makes sense. Ah, uh, interesting. In certain, in certain uh, panels, it's like, well, that has to be Amy because the hair is red, or that's Data because that's who they were talking to a minute ago, so it has to be the same guy. <laughs> Some of the details are kind of lost in, in the, uh, let's see, I'm looking at the panel where Data has just jumped through and the, the doctor's helping him back to his feet. And the doctor's face, you can't really see much of, like, the detail, the nose, the eyes, the lips. You, it's just a more general impression of his face and Picard's face. Where And then the next panel is a close-up of Picard and Data. And the, oh, okay, I know who these guys are. I recognize these. This is much better, more realistic artwork at that point. So it was interesting. Right. But, I mean, if you look at that page, the the top right-hand panel where Data's holding it up and mm-hmm. kind of Picard's in the background, I mean, yeah. to me, that's spot on. That's that's Brent Spiner and that's Patrick Stewart. Yeah. So, I mean... Yeah, but not everyone. Some, not everyone, right. So, some are really good and accurate, some aren't. So. Yeah, it's, it kind of changes from panel to panel, yeah, who's in focus and what they're trying to focus on yeah. and show you. Right. So, Jamie, just to let you know, yeah. I've been keeping count, by the way, Donovan. Um, <laughs> Donovan loves this watercolor art style. <laughs> it's photorealistic. It's wonderful. It can be. And it can be. Everybody. No, 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 no. It's God's gift to comic bookdom. <laughs> and 
<laughs> everybody else who's been on, I think I I think I'm correct by saying everybody else says I like pretty much what you're saying. I like it. It's different. Not my first choice, but it's nice. And some of the faraway shots are a little bit more kind of uh, you don't see as much detail, so you can't tell as easily. And other ones are of a lot of nice detail. Anyway, I'm just I'm just mentioning. <laughs> No, I, and I'm, I've always agreed with you that the faraway shots are always bad. Yeah. But then the reason why I brought that one panel up is that that top right-hand panel on that page, Patrick Stewart's face is in the background, and it's... And it looks good. Off. Yeah, yes. it looks good. It looks good. Which is, you know, different than what the normal is, where, you know, usually it's the, the foreground character is spot on. Right. And if you look across the page, so uh, on the previous page, upper mm-hmm. portion where it's Picard and Doctor in the lead walking. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because Picard looks photorealistic, really good. And the Doctor, you know, they're right next to each other in the panel. The Doctor is uh, not as accurate, a little bit more artsy-fartsy. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah, it's different. I like it. I yeah. like different. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Just not, <laughs> not my first choice. Not what I was expecting choice. when you, yeah, handed me those to read. Yeah. Okay. Any other comments on that one, or should we move on? Yeah, but can I ask one quick question uh, of oh. Jamie? Because I don't think we, I don't think we asked the, the the question up front. We should have, which is, who's your favorite doctor? <laughs> it is really hard to decide. I really like. No, 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 no. I don't want to hear that. Who's your okay. favorite doctor? <laughs> <laughs> well, right now I'm watching Matt Smith, so I'm really enjoying his performance. He is so goofy. I mean, they were emptying his pockets, and there was a Barbie in there. <laughs> and uh, in reading some of the trivia, they're like. Okay, well, in this scene, we had to film it like four, eight times because he kept because uh, when Amy is deciding not to marry Rory the next day, she wants to travel with the doctor. She keeps kissing him. They kept having to redo that scene because he kept kissing her back. They're like, no, 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 not supposed to do that. But it's just Matt Smith loves kissing people, and he yeah. kisses Rory in another episode. It wasn't in the script. It's just, he's, he seems to embody a lot of the fun and the um, free spirit. Of the doctor, I I have I, I love that of him. Cool, fine choice. <laughs> <laughs> and you haven't seen enough of the classic doctors no. to have a favorite, I assume. No. Okay, good. I want to I get remember, that business out of the way. I remember as a kid getting a, a sci-fi catalog, and so I had Star Trek stuff, X Files stuff, and this weird guy with really frizzy hair and a hat and a lot of scarf, <laughs> asking my mom, "What is this?" <laughs> She's like, oh, that's like the longest running sci-fi series ever. It's Doctor Who. I don't know. She, she cool. never watched it. That's okay. cool. Your mom would know that. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. All right, that's okay. it. I needed All to right. know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the uh, next issue, uh, issue eight, came out of December two thousand twelve. Um, all the writing staff is the same as the previous issue. There is three covers. The last cover, I'll just get out of the way now, the RE cover, it's actually a panel from the previous issue which shows Lacutus staring into um, the doctor's face with the little red laser hitting the doctor's forehead um, and Amy and Rory staring on. So I don't know why they took a panel from a previous issue to make a uh, special limited edition cover for this issue. Seems a little weird, but it, it's there. Hey, uh, and I'm sure it's the most expensive one. Yep question uh that's that's like a double wide cover so did that actually wrap around to the back right right it was the front and the back cover uh, cool that's i don't think i've ever seen that before cool especially since this panel happens in the last 
episode. It's not like this is something that's coming up that right. you'll need to, to know about. It's just something that happened already. That is weird. It is weird. But it, it's a cool it's a cool cover. And I'm sure it's the most expensive one. I haven't looked it up. But since it was a uh, Dynamic Forces exclusive, uh, I'm sure they didn't make a ton of them. Right. All right. So the regular cover, which is the one I have, uh, it's kind of like a retro comic book cover. Um, shows a giant uh, cyber controller. Uh, you can see that he's Borg enhanced, and you can see his brain visible within a glass dome. Uh, he's looming over a, a desert planet of some sort, and he's reaching out with both hands to the small forms of the Doctor, Picard, Worf, Amy, and Rory. Uh, the Doctor is shown pointing his sonic screwdriver at the reader, and Picard is firing his phaser off to the side. And the caption reads, The Menace of the Cyber Controller. I, I really like this cover. It, it reminded me of comics from the, the 80s for some reason. And then the R.I. cover is just a shot of Worf, Rory, and Amy. All of them have hand phasers, and all of them are shooting somewhere off-screen. The uh, story starts off aboard the Cybermen ship. Remember, there's two groups, one with Worf, Amy, Rory, and three security guards, and the other group with uh, Picard, Data, and the Doctor, and the Conduit. So it starts off with the Worf's group, and he informs uh, Rory and Amy... Uh, that he needs them to cover him and the security teams back while they go ahead and start to uh, fire at the control panels. So they're trying to stop the ship, or at least slow it down so the Enterprise can catch up. Worf and the security team spring into action. They are able to destroy the panels, uh, but two of the security men are captured by the Borg-enhanced Cybermen. Worf gathers the others, and they retreat as the engines wind to a stop. Mission successful. Elsewhere on the ship, the Doctor, Data, Picard, and Conduit are stuck, staring at this massive throng of uh, cybernetic warriors. Uh, they can't move any forward without being seen, and then they find out they can not retreat either, since some Cybermen are coming up behind them. The Cybermen that uh, come up behind them recognize the Doctor... And they're intrigued by Data, so they say both of them are going to be going to the cyber controller. Picard, however, is going to be upgraded, and Conduit is going to be destroyed. Before they can do this, however, the ship starts to rock, and the Cybermen start to shut down as gold flakes permeate the air. The Enterprise has caught up and has started its gold attack. Picard now has a air mask on his face. The doctor is holding a handkerchief up to his nose. And Data and Conduit do not need anything to shield their lungs from these gold particles. The four make their way to the cyber controller unhindered. The cyber controller turns out to be immune to this gold dust. He tells the doctor that he has fallen into his trap. He stands up from his control chair and lunges at the doctor, yelling... Die, Time Lord. At the last second, he's tackled by the combined might of Data and Conduit. They are able to pin him down long enough for the Doctor to unhook some pieces of the Cyber Controller's Borg augmentations, and he plugs them into Conduit. Conduit then broadcasts the baseline Borg code to the entire collective. The Borg are now able to repel the Cybermen's attack. 
The ship starts to shake, and Conduit informs the group that all the Cybermen in this universe have been set to self-destruct by the Collective. Everyone on the Cybership makes their way to the TARDIS before it can go supernova. Rory and Worf are the last ones to jump aboard as the TARDIS disappears and the ship explodes. In the TARDIS, everyone is catching their breath, discussing the close call. The TARDIS then starts to rumble, and everyone looks over at the console. There, they see Conduit has plugged into the TARDIS, and he's started to assimilate it. Data tries to unplug the Borg, and instead is infused with the time energy from the TARDIS itself. Data and the TARDIS are now infused into one. They are able to rip the Borg's arm out of the console. Worf is able to force the drone into the now open door, and the Borg is flung into the time vortex. Later, on the Enterprise, Riker is missing his friend who was converted into the conduit. The Doctor informs them that the two universes are pulling apart again. The timelines will be repairing themselves. Though the Enterprise crew will remember what happened, the changes to the past will, will start to be erased. He and the Pawns enter the TARDIS and return home. Elsewhere, the Borg Collective has a new idea. Perhaps the idea of time travel is a possibility worth looking into. The end. Da, da, da. <laughs> <laughs> so now we know how they got the idea for First Contact. Hmm. Hmm. I like that. I thought that was a nice little touch at the end. I thought that was great. Yeah. That was great. They, they do well with tying everything all in in to each other back in the ground again. Yeah. Very good. I, I'm 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 never the big fan of Doctor Who when they say time repairs itself and <laughs> and you know, you'll remember because you know these events really happened to you, but everything that happened in the past won't have happened, which doesn't yeah. make sense because for Kirk he did meet the fourth doctor, so why would that not happen? Yeah. But Picard and Matt Smith's meeting would still happen. You know, it's just like eh, it, it doesn't really make sense. Yeah, and wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. That's how they explain everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just don't worry about it. These are the rules. Just go with it. <laughs> yeah, like most time time travel stories, there's usually some piece of BS they just throw in there that's right. convenient for the story. Which works for, you know, something that's a little lighthearted. You know, yeah. Just, just don't think about it too hard kind of thing. Right. Exactly. Like Austin Powers. Well, the old, <laughs> the old Doctor Who, anytime somebody would ask him, you know, how does that work? And his always, his answer was always, I'll explain later. You know, mm-hmm. that was kind of, <laughs> that was the running joke that uh, <laughs> we're not going to explain it. He, he's going to explain it to the companion later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, anyways, what do you think of the conclusion, the, the the actual resolution, gold dust, reboot, over? I've not seen any of the original Cybermen. Was gold dust a thing that would? Because they don't ever do it in, you know, nine through elevens. They always have to find some clever way to defeat them to blow them them up or something. Never with gold. I've not seen that one before. Yeah, that's something that the. Uh, older episodes dealt with that uh, that they were allergic to gold. So that uh, Neil Gaiman episode that he wrote. Um, Which one? Nightmare uh, and Silver, I think. 
I think right. that's something like that. The amusement um, park one? I don't think, right. Jamie, you haven't seen that one yet. No, I've not seen that one yet. Oh, well. Okay. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I just want to say, I'm pretty sure they didn't use gold in that, right? Not that I remember. I don't think they did. Okay. So that's when Matt's, that's a Matt Smith episode. Right. When he deals with them. But, I mean, but uh, the, the older ones, definitely gold factored into a lot of the yeah. storylines on how they defeated him. Yeah. Which... So they are picking and choosing from the newer seasons and the, the older stuff. I like that. Right. Yeah, and even even here, you know, when, when uh, the 11th Doctor was telling him that, you know, they use, they sometimes have an alert allergic reaction to gold he did say that he doesn't know if these upgraded cybermen would have True. the same weakness which the drones did but the cyber controller didn't right and that's convenient isn't it <laughs> so why, why should the cyber controller be that much different i mean from that standpoint i don't know that's fine whatever it's the exposed brain bubble protection. yeah exactly oh that's <laughs> what does it <laughs> and then and then at the end, the cyber controller actually physically is going to go ahead and kill a Time Lord. I mean, it's like, it's, it's, yeah. They always get up from their chair. They always do, do something to, to come and in, in attack. Right. Die, Time Lord. It's like, well, okay. That sounds kind of emotional for a robot, but okay. Mm. Not a robot. Or a like cyborg. cyborg. Well, fine, whatever. <laughs> But do you see much? Do you see much emotion driving the Cybermen or uh, the Borg? I, no, I don't think so. But. Their emotions were deleted. Well, <laughs> okay. Maybe I'm reading more emotion into the uh, Cyber Controller getting up and lunging no, at I agree. the Doctor. But I agree. But it looks cool. Yeah. It does look cool, and it does give an excuse for the uh, highly strong Data and uh, conduit to uh, to grab him. Yep, I like that. Yeah, well. <sighs> I liked it. It was just a little anticlimactic that, you know, kind of like every time you go to a board cube, you can walk around un- unhindered, you know, you can yeah. bump into them. Oh, excuse me. Isn't that handy? Like, I'm still working. And then, uh, <laughs> it, it, you know, that was always kind of like anticlimactic too because you go there you should be attacked by all these but you're not and then the same thing happens here but in reverse that they get attacked at first then the gold dust and then now you can walk around willy nilly willy nilly good point and I still don't understand how the dust got in it's not like there's windows on yeah exactly ship. oh but it, but it's it's a gold how plasma it? beam oh is that what it was it's yeah but still, it, you got to get apparently, a part inside of the ship. Yeah, wasn't it plasma through beam? The Something. Something. Yeah, through, through the shields, through the hull, look out, Cybermen, here it comes. It's like, <laughs> I, whatever, just go with it. Anyways. Jack Jordy, he's clever. He is clever. And I do like how uh, the uh, doctor is saying, yeah, he'd make a pretty good uh, companion. Hey, back off, exactly. Yeah, I forgot about that part. Uh, yeah, that was cute. Uh, another part I really liked is uh, when Worf had the occasion to say, "It is a good day to die." <laughs> Love that. Yeah, and what does Rory say? Um, Tried that already, didn't like it. Yeah, Something I never like cared that, yeah. for it much myself. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, the, the writing in these I think are is really well. The dialogue because yes. I think they get both franchises down pat. Right. Yeah. Uh, another good example of that: how they're commenting. Oh, Data is different from the rest. He won't need an upgrade. Yeah. Right. And that takes you back to the first couple of panels in the first um, comic uh, of how he's going, no, I don't need an upgrade. I, I want to evolve naturally, not put oh. in a bunch of extra crap. Mm-hmm. So I like that. That yeah. was nice, too. Oh, that was, that was, I didn't remember. That was a nice little that, setup yeah. conversation for the Cybermen and the, and the Borg showing up. Yeah. I do like when uh, Data gets to see inside the heart of the TARDIS and his eyes are all glowing and, and stuff. That's, that's a good... I like the artwork of the panel and that he gets to, to experience something he's never gotten to experience before, especially with the TARDIS because it's full of all kinds of stuff for him to see. I mean, he doesn't get to see it for very long and he doesn't, you know, nearly explode like Rose, but, you know, it's, it's <laughs> fun. It's a nice little treat for him. And the board being thrown out to the time vortex... Is that going to come back and bite them later in like later comics if they wanted to? Because what is in the time vortex? Is he just in the void and he's going to go nuts, you know, having nothing to do? Or does he dissolve? What happens to him? Right. That was my concern or my thought, too, is what, what did that really mean? Because would that mean that he could go anywhere in time? Now right. he could, like, pop yeah. up <clears throat> Victorian England and assimilate them? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but yeah, why would you go to Earth though? I mean, many planets out there, but could be. Uh, and so the Earth apparently, is the the, of the universe. yeah, duh. <laughs> so apparently, the time vortex is some place that actually has um, pressure and uh, air. And no. uh, okay, just wondering because so, he's a, he's a Borg, so he he. Well, he's have a Borg, but he's he's got biological components also. Oh, true. Yeah, but we saw in First Contact they can walk around in space without any problem. I know, and that I'd never liked that. Oh, no, that was awesome. <laughs> I mean, if it's got biological components, it must have blood, it must have skin, well, they got skin. It's skin. like, oh, I'm sorry. But it's always all gray and, and dead looking, so I don't know about blood, but definitely skin. And skin would freeze and crack and stuff. That's right. Yeah. I've, seen, I've seen gravity. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I haven't seen it. Me neither. Oh, okay. <laughs> Spoiler, Jesus. You should you should go see it. It's good. So everybody says yeah, me too. Uh, anyway. I also like y'all probably already covered it, but I liked Guinan understanding it all all about the the Time Lord, not necessarily knowing who he was, but just the the feeling of she's not from this world. Whatever she is, she's she's special too, much like the Doctor. I had never drawn that parallel on my own. I'm glad someone did. Because that was, that was fun. Yeah. For, uh, so they had someone on both sides understanding what was going on. Right. Very handily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like... Ken, Ken thinks she, they, she got a little overused. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, what? Oh, what, really? What? Hmm. <laughs> what an interesting thought to have. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I I I just think Guinan's a little bit too convenient. She She's can. like I me. Mean, her 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 main function is to come up out of the blue and explain everything for Picard. So that's that's her main function on the ship. <laughs> that's that's what she I always just, has been. Yeah. Because I know I know, which is handy. It's <laughs> yeah. handy, but 
Oh, I'm in the Nexus. Oh, a shard of me is in the Nexus. Oh, thanks, Guinan, for explaining everything to me. Okay. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's never liked the Borg. She doesn't like the Q. Right. She does apparently not mind the Doctor, though, because he has, you know, he is, for all intents and purposes, like a god. And she never liked Q because he was more of the, the vain, egocentric type of god, whereas the Doctor's a good-hearted kind of god. God, all right. But that's what they refer to them as sometimes in the in the series. The Time Lords. The Time Lords. Uh huh. They were like gods, not not right. actual. Gods. Right, right. So you could go anywhere, do anything, know everything. All that. That's pretty handy. That's pretty godlike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I I I like the photo of Riker playing trombone. That's true. Yeah. And um, and Captain Bertrand doing a Stevie Wonder impression uh, at the piano and then uh, seeing that they apparently did it in Nolans at Cisco's. Oh, I didn't even catch the Cisco's oh. thing. Yes. Yeah. Very nice. Huh. That is nice. Good call. Yeah. A little uh, a little shout out to Deep Space Nine fans. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I thought that was just a little tacked on. I mean, because yeah, he says a few times that he knew who Conduit was, and he had that scene with, with Crusher about, can you fix him like you did Picard? Right. But, uh, you know, nobody really tried. <laughs> <laughs> well, they didn't have an opportunity, did they, since he tried to take over the TARDIS? Right. Yeah. And then Worf had to throw him out. So, anyways, I, I didn't really care for that part. But I do like that picture now that it says Cisco's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it did see it did seem a little tacked on, but it it I mean it's trying to show a little bit of humanity instead of just the uh, black and white enemy that has to be expunged. Right. Yeah. 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 But it does it bring kind of slow up, things down a little bit. It does bring up the question that I've always had that you know you can you can you can bring back Picard, you can bring back Seven of Nine. Kind of, but and then, you know, they have all these other people on Deep Space Nine, where, or uh, sorry, Voyager, where they keep bringing them back, you know, the, the kids and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, so when it's convenient to the plot, we can reconvert them, but otherwise, we just. They tried them. to explain that with the whole they have to want to come back. Right. Now, Seven of Nine had been aboard for a good long while, if I remember correctly, so why would, would she want to come back? Well, she didn't want to come back. I mean, that they was. They forced her still? Yeah, they forced her, because she tried many times there in the beginning to go back. Oh, that was a while back. I don't remember very well. So. Yeah, whereas Picard hadn't been aboard very long, and he's very dutiful. He, you know, fully committed to Starfleet and everything. So I can see why he would want to come back easily. And, you know, even when they're, they were putting all the stuff on him, the, the single tear that rolls down. I like that they put that into the comic, too, because I remember that scene very well when we yep. were seeing it the, for, for the first time. The loss of his humanity. Mm-hmm. And how sad he was. And... Yeah. <laughs> right. They were doing horrible things to him. Horrible. <laughs> and again, I bet I brought this up in the when we were doing the review for the previous issue, but uh, I do like the Rory Wharf uh, buddy cop feel. Yeah. Although the obvious for me, the obvious elephant in the room of this issue is. The fact that Amy said almost nothing 
and almost did nothing. So in this issue, yeah. In this issue, yeah. so uh, and I went back and looked because I thought it was like, okay, it's fine to have Rory's always the uh, the, the secondary companion. That's fine um, to Amy's obviously alpha companion. But in this one, they kind of allowed Rory to step out a bit, which was kind of fine. But it had to the expense of Amy. I mean, all she did, let me see. Uh, all she said was "all right" all at right. the beginning. I think that's and, her only line. And bye near the end. <laughs> and those are her two lines, and they're wow. not even lines; they're just words. Yeah. Two words in the entire issue. Oh, that's funny. Huh? I hadn't realized that the first reading through, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. So good for Ori. Not so good for Amy. Yeah. So what? What did y'all get out of the TARDIS time stream into Data? Did did you get that he was absorbing or that the the consciousness of the TARDIS was entering Data? I think she was helping him out, saying, okay, this is what you need to do. I don't like this. Get him out. Get conduit out of me. Right. But then the doctor yes. does say it's retreating from the Borg's assaults into the one place it can, Commander Data. So that's why I thought, hmm. you know, the TARDIS was actually the consciousness of the TARDIS was actually entering data. That's what I thought. So that's why in my synopsis I said they became one. <laughs> he, he said it's fascinating because, you know, if it's, it would be a unique experience for both of them. Cause she, yeah. yeah, she had been a, a human at one, the one point when the soul of the TARDIS was in that girl and everything. Oh, so okay, could, so you saw that issue, good. Or that, that episode. That episode. Yeah, that one that was a while back. So, yeah, and, and when I first read this, it was like, what the, what, going into data, eh, what? And it, But then <laughs> I went back and I had seen again uh, what The Doctor's Wife, I think the issue right. is, something like that. Yeah, that's okay. And, and it was like, oh, well, that's the exact, okay. So that big tie-in with the comic, because I think, the, I think the girl's eyes went yellow too. Well, no, um, uh, but, Billy Piper's went yellow when the same thing happened in the Bad Wolf episode. Oh, yeah. yeah, okay, but I'm pretty sure that in the doctor's wife, you know, when the when the TARDIS's consciousness went into her, I'm pretty sure that just for a few minutes her eyes went uh, oh, yellow. Yeah. yeah, maybe. And then Probably. and then they went back and then they went back to normal. So I I did not remember the precedent with Billy Piper, but I did remember the one with the doctor's wife. Right, which was also a Neil Gaiman episode. Oh, really? He wrote that one too. Oh, huh. really? The one uh, he likes to do yeah, that. Yeah, because I really. I really like that episode. Yep. And then he's also written a um, novella, a short novel, mm -hmm. based on the, the Matt Smith Doctor that came out last month. Cool. Hmm. That's so, funny. Yeah, some, some publisher came out with a, every month they released a novella based on one particular doctor written by, mm -hmm. you know, pretty famous British writers. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Neil Gaiman chose the eleventh Doctor. Cool. Okay. That's nice. I guess well, he you... knew that one the best since he's written two episodes for that Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Not only that, he's Neil Gaiman. He can pretty much write what he wants. Yeah. Oh, you want to do the eleventh? Hey, yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> you do that, Neil. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm almost surprised he didn't end up on that uh, five-ish Doctors because, you know, just about everybody else did. Uh, including, um, what, Peter Jackson? Peter Jackson. Really? Yeah, yeah you need to watch that. Um, yeah. It's, uh, the only place I've seen it is on the BBC website, and you can't watch it on mobile devices. You have to watch it on your PC. Okay. 
but it's worth a look. Will do. It is. <laughs> so, any other comments on this issue? I, I liked it, but uh, I thought it wrapped up a little fast. It was a little fast, but it was fun. Yeah, it, it was a fun ride. But uh, yes. like, like with a lot of good stories, a lot of build-up, it's like it's almost impossible for the ending to be, you know, maybe quite as wow as you'd like it to be. <laughs> but uh, it was good. It was good. Yeah, I hope they do another crossover. I, I've I've really enjoyed these eight issues. Yeah, I, I've always enjoyed Star Trek. I, I've found Doctor Who, and I've been thoroughly enjoying that. So the crossover of the two was, was a lot of fun. Cool. So now with the new Doctor, they could have him cross over with, uh, <laughs> the, with the Chris Pine universe or something. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, Peter, they can go Peter Capaldi? Yeah, you go know, different time, different dimension. Why not? Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of dumb crossovers, there was uh, in the comic books there was a <laughs> dumb. What? <laughs> well, there are some dumb ones, and this is yeah. one of them. Uh, the one I'm about to tell you about. Okay. Uh, there's a, there's a comic book series on Xena. There was a comic book series of Army of Darkness. Um, the TV show and the movies of Army of Darkness and Xena were both produced by Sam Raimi. Uh huh. <laughs> So uh, there was a comic book series where they crossed over, you know, Army of Darkness, Xena, crossover. Mm-hmm. And that was the actual yeah. name of it. Army of Darkness, Xena, crossover, why not? <laughs> <laughs> well, at that point, you got it. Yes, that's about right. Why not? Because it makes no sense otherwise. Yeah. Especially with the attitude that uh, Ash has, that would—that's a very fitting title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't want to take this on too much of a tangent, but since you're mentioning Ash and Army of Darkness, so I mean, so they've announced they're going to do another movie, right? Which well, is going to be interesting with such a uh, mature Ash. I also just saw oh. an article with with. Uh, Bruce Campbell saying that you know he they said that as a joke that he he didn't think everybody would take it as seriously as they are. Oh, it was a joke. Well, I don't know. You know oh no, you can't say things like that on the oh. internet and expect people to take it seriously. Well, he said it in a, a convention or something. Yeah, Somebody but, asked uh, if you. Well, it's going to end up. But, on the but then yeah. he followed. Uh, but then yeah. he followed up with more information yeah, after I that. I, I read, and, and both times I, were a joke. I don't know. Oh Who knows? man. Okay, fine. But my my bubble was bursted when I read that that last article where Bruce Campbell was saying that uh, it it may not be true. May not. Okay. So yeah, they were going to do an Army of Darkness two, which was going to run parallel to the new remake Evil Dead sequel. Right. So which I haven't seen be... yet. Because oh, yeah. I thought. Um, it was, pretty... was it? I, okay. I thought I forgot the guy's name, but. Uh, uh... The, the the guy that that directed and the guy that wrote, so two different guys, that wrote that reboot, right of uh, Evil Dead. Um, I thought they were gonna they were gonna work on the follow up to that, but then instead, Raimi was gonna be involved in the Army of Darkness sequel. Okay, well, fine, whatever. Well, no, so, it was Raimi was going to write and direct Army of Darkness too, and right. those guys were still going to write and direct. Well, okay. too. yeah, and the article I wrote, which was probably BS anyway, is that <laughs> those guys, the guys that did the reboot, 
uh, Evil Dead. We're going to go off and do other things while oh, they fo- okay. while they focused on Army of Darkness too. Which uh, okay, but the whole thing's BS. Okay, fine. Yeah, yeah I can't. I so I can't believe anything on the internet. I am. <laughs> I, my bubble has burst. <laughs> well, I'm still holding out that they're going to do it because I would love to see. I didn't think they were going to actually reboot the, the series at all. So they did that. Yeah. So you never that's know. True. Yep. But we always have the comic books. True. And uh, mm-hmm. the uh, Freddy versus Jason versus Ash comics. Are <laughs> yes. That that is great stuff. That was almost a movie. That that came like this close of actually getting made. Oh, that would have been a good movie. Yeah. I would have actually seen that because I I've not really watched any of the Freddy Jason movies. I've seen the first one, first Freddy movie as an adult, so it wasn't all that scary. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um. So yeah, I would if you throw Ash in there too. Okay, fine, I'll watch it. <laughs> <laughs> He's the ultimate hero guy against those two baddies. True. Right. Would have been and actually good. somebody that might actually be able to do something instead of just dying. Yeah. Which is usually what happens in all those. Mm-hmm. All right, we are in the weeds, my friend. We are. So let's pull ourselves back up and wrap up, maybe. All right. Any last comments on the series overall? The these eight issues, Assimilation Squared. It was fun. It was fun. It was very good. Well worth the uh, eight times five bucks or whatever the heck they cost. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're a little. They're worth it. I like them. Yeah. And I've been reading a lot. The these Tipton people, the one that wrote wrote these issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, they write a lot of the uh, IDW Doctor Who stuff. Scott and David Tipton. Uh, I've been reading some of some of those issues, and they're they're pretty good. Good. So, they have a handle on the Doctor. Right. And well, the the back, the back of issue eight, at least my my version, uh, actually shows the original uh, Doctor William Hartnell depicted uh, for the. Doctor Who Prisoners of Time comic, I guess, right? That's right. a comic, right? Yep. Yeah, it was a 12-issue comic. Each each issue was a different Doctor. And oh, the, right. The 12th okay. issue, all the Doctors had to team up. Oh, well, I guess I'm going to have to get that now. <laughs> Indeed. I haven't quite finished it yet. I'm, I'm on the 8th Doctor. I've been reading each page, savoring it. <laughs> right. Cool. So, all right. Well, then we'll, I guess we'll close up. Jamie, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I guess uh, next week we'll be back to just Ken and I, and we're going to be doing uh, – we're finishing off the original series um, DC comic run with issue 79 and 80. Cool. So, you know what, Jamie? I just looked. Huh? You were in episode 49. And then no this, way. this is episode uh, 147. So you're almost oh, a, oh, at, a, at a hundred <laughs> episode anniversary, almost. Yeah, yeah, and if you throw in the two April Fools jokes, you're you're right on. Exactly a hundred <laughs> episodes later. <laughs> That's awesome. Again, it's like you planned it. Yeah, planned it. That's right. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I planned it. That or she only talks to us every two years. Oh. <laughs> That's another way to look at it. 
<laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming, Jamie. Uh, Thank you. My thanks, too. It was very good having you on. And like always, you're welcome Thank to join us anytime. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks, guys, and uh, I guess we'll talk to you guys next week. Okay. See you next time on The Bye. Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name, stcomic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.